Please remain standing as you're able. There's a joy to add to our uh, time of prayer this morning. Uh, Pastor Donna's husband, John, was here at the first service, and I asked if after Donna's eye surgery she was able to see around corners and through trees, and he assured me that was the case. So we're grateful for that. As we come before God's Word, we do so likely as Jesus and his disciples would have by repeating uh, part of the Shema of ancient Israel. And then we add what Jesus called uh, loving your neighbor, which gave us what he called the great commandment. If you'll follow after me. Shema Israel. Adonai Elohenu. Adonai Had. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We are looking at the parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, This summer, this is from the 20th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Owner, A landowner got up early in the morning and went to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius, and they went out to work. About nine o'clock in the morning, he went out to the marketplace and saw people standing around. He said to them, you go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went out. He did the same thing at noon and about three o'clock in the afternoon. And at five o'clock in the afternoon, he went back to the marketplace and he saw others doing nothing. And he said, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? They said, because no one has hired us. Then you go work in my vineyard, he said, and they went. When evening came, he said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning from the last hired going to the first. So when those who were last hired came, they each received a denarius for their work. When those who were hired first came, they expected to receive more than a denarius, but they also each received a denarius. And when they received their pay, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last workers have only worked an hour, and yet you have made them equal to us, who have borne the work and the heat of the day. And the landowner answered one of them, saying, Friend, I have not been unfair to you. Did you not agree to work for a denarius? So take your wages and go. I have decided to pay the last and the first the same. Am I not allowed to do what I want with my money? Or do or are you envious of my generosity? So it is that the first will be last and the last will be first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Well, after four months, the labor issues in the NFL finally got solved. Uh, Prognosticators think the NBA trouble may go even longer than that. And I don't know if you saw, I think it was on Thursday, that United and Continental uh, pilots, a number of them called in in a sick out and didn't show up to fly. Seems like there are labor issues all over, and usually the issues have something to do with fairness. People don't feel like they are being treated fairly. Well, if that's the case, there are a lot of us who could go on strike. In fact, then all of us who are the people of God could go on strike as well. Because quite simply, if you're looking for fairness and you come to the church, you've come to the wrong place. Fairness is not what apparently we are about. Life itself 
is not particularly fair. Uh, this week, we got a couple hundredths of an inch of rain, and they're flooding in South Korea, and people are in trouble. This week, most of us going about our business, trying to be faithful, working, or, or caring, or volunteering, helping others, and our retirement accounts kept dropping. Mark Buchanan, Canadian author and pastor, talks about the kind of fairness he experienced in his community when there was a couple in his church with a small child who was gravely sick, a life-threatening illness, and the family had expended themselves in so many ways to try to take care of her, and they were down to so few resources, and still she wasn't doing well. And on the street where that couple lived, there was a crotchety old man that was known to be mean-spirited and very stingy, and he won the lottery. If you're looking for fairness, you've come to the wrong place. And Jesus seems to even sanction that when he talks about the kingdom of heaven is like this guy that owns a vineyard and hires people at all different hours, and yet the ones who work 12 hours get paid the same as those who only get one hour. You know what that means, don't you? I mean, you got up, got dressed, made it here this morning. So many others didn't. And yet when it's all said and done, you're treated the same. Offering plate came around. Many of you respond generously. There are people all over, don't respond at all. But when it's all said and done, the rewards, say this parable, are the same. If I I were you, I'd think about going on strike. Of course, if you did that, I wouldn't have a job. And you know, I've been there before. I've been there. After my senior in high school, I quit what I thought was a low-paying summer job on the advice of my future brother-in-law and went and joined a union where I could go to a marketplace like in this story and they would hire day laborers and I would make a whole lot more in this particular kind of construction than I would my summer job at the drugstore. I went, paid the union dues, showed up early in the morning, Three days in a row, no one ever called. Nothing ever came my way. No one looked at me. Years later, I had, had enrolled in graduate school in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, you know how some people have hours of graduate school. I had minutes there. And when I dropped out, I not only had nothing to do, I lost my work-study job uh, there at the university. So I was out looking for a job. Went to the laundromat. They told me I was overqualified. After a number of rejections, my wife is going through the want ads there in Nashville, and she finally thinks, at least until the cold weather comes, I might have a shot at making it driving an ice cream truck in neighborhoods for children. That's what your seminary degree gets you, by the way. But no one came calling. No one came looking. Until a friend of mine who was a pastor in the Rio Grande Valley called me and said, there is this church down here. Would you like to come? You know, when you look at this parable this morning, you can get on one side of it and say it's not fair. Uh, This landowner's not fair at all. How could God, by implication, be like that? Or you can look at the other side of the parable. I'll say this for the landowner. He may not have been fair, but he was very gracious. He went out looking. 
went out looking and he found day laborers at several different hours of the day. And uh, in, in, in ancient Israel, slaves had it better than day laborers. Because if you were a slave in a Roman household, you know, they were going to take care of you. You were their property. They were going to feed you. You would get medical care. You knew where your next meal was coming from. You were a day laborer. You had nothing unless you were hired. And the Torah required that day laborers be paid at the end of every day. So they could take the money home to their family and their family could eat the next day. Because of this unfair employer, there were a number of families in the story that will eat the next day. Look at it one side, it doesn't look fair. You look at the other side, it looks pretty generous. Not only does it look generous, but actually looks quite biblical. I had no idea. I hadn't paid attention to this story. But if you go to 1 Samuel 30, there's a story of David before he's king. And David's got these group of men, and sort of like guerrilla fighters, they're not part of King Saul's army, but they're protecting Israel nonetheless. So they're out on a mission to protect the borders of Israel. When their hometown, where their wives and children and all their possessions are kept, is attacked by marauders who sweep up the, the women, the children, and the possessions and go off. So David's army comes back to their hometown and finds everything gone. So 600 of them set out in pursuit of these marauders. And as they're in pursuit, they stop at a point and 200 of David's men are just too exhausted to go any further, so they stay there. The other 400 go on. They find the marauders. They defeat them. They bring back the wives, the children, the property, plus spoils from the marauders' camp. Well, the 400 that did all the fighting when they got reunited with the other 200 said, you can have your wives back and you can have your children, but you can't have anything else. You didn't fight. David overrules them and said, no, that's not the way we do it. He said, we will all share alike. And then he said this, and that will be an ordinance for all time in Israel. I mean, that's a deal back to David, this equality of reward. Well, maybe you don't like it. Maybe sometimes I don't like it. I'm a little bit like that older brother. Remember the prodigal son story? The younger brother runs off, wastes everything, comes back and gets a party. And the older brother's like, what's this about? I've been here all along. He's a little bit like the laborers who had worked 12 hours in the vineyard. Basically what they're saying to the landowner is this. We'd be happy if they got less. We have enough for our family to eat tomorrow, but we're not going to be happy unless they don't have enough to eat tomorrow. We'd be happy if you were differently generous with them, less generous with them. And by implication, they would be happy if God sort of parceled out God's love. And so those of us who have been around a long time might get eight twelfths or nine twelfths of God's love. And those who just kind of got in the game might get one twelfth of God's love. Apparently, according to some uh, scholars, um, just like a dollar bill can be divided into dimes, quarters, nickels, and pennies, so a denarius, which was a, a, a living wage, not a great wage, but a living wage for a day, could be divided in, into twelfths called pondians. And so basically what you might be saying is, God, why don't you give them a twelfth of your love and give me more than that? Can you imagine that? Wanting God to love others less? Who would do something like that? And yet, that's essentially what I'm doing when I look at the parable and I say he's unfair as opposed to seeing his generosity. But here's the worst thing to me. People who want God to be fair and the landowner to be fair are basically saying, 
give people what they deserve, including me. Basically, you're saying to God, and I'm saying to God, give me what I deserve. I want to ask you, is that your final answer? Think about that cartoon some years ago, and there's a line of people at the, at the pearly gates, you know, waiting to check in with Peter. And there's a husband and wife that are there together, and she turns to him and she says, Now, Harold, whatever you do, don't ask for what you deserve. Pretty good advice. But how did I get that point? How do I get upside down in this parable? How do I get where the grumblers are? I thought about that, and, and you probably realize that parables are, are stories that Jesus probably told on more than one occasion, but this particular occasion, he tells it, there's a setting, and the setting's at the end of the chapter before, where Peter says to him, you know, Jesus, we've left everything for you. We've really sucked it up. We've made sacrifices. Now, what are we getting out of this? What's our reward? And then Jesus tells Peter this little story about reward. What's Peter's problem? Well, I think it's the same as mine, and that is when I start comparing what others have to what I have, I get in trouble. I take my eyes off the the kingdom ball, as it were, and I start thinking about, well, they have this, why don't I? And that sort of comparison, friends, it's a killer. Soren Kierkegaard said that comparison should be considered in the sin, a sin. If it's not in the Bible, it just it ought to be a sin. Uh, to, because basically what it says is that I resent anybody else's fortune that's good if it's better than mine. It means I'm watching them. I'm not watching God. I'm working for reward rather than out of the fact that I've been loved and out of gratitude. You just when you start comparing, which apparently Peter does on occasion, you get, you get in trouble. The Gospel of John, uh, Jesus is risen from the dead. That should be enough, you would think. But Peter, at the end of the Gospel of John, when, when Jesus has come back from the dead and is talking with him and talking with John, Jesus says, now Peter, it's not going to go real great for you because one day they will arrest you and they're going to bind you up. And do you remember what Peter said about that? He didn't say, oh, that's terrible, or yikes, or why is that going to happen? He looked at John and says, well, what about him? If I'm going to suffer, he ought to suffer too. Comparison just kills us in our walk with God. But I think the main way that I get there quite simply is this. I often, when I want to compare, when I want things to be fair and just, I'm really suffering from amnesia. I'm forgetting how much God has already done for me. To demand more than what I have is to essentially say, God, you haven't given me anything. Do I really want to say that? I remember a guy used to be a chaplain here for the Baptist hospital system years and years ago. And he talked about this. He said, you know, my Christian life, for so many years, I kept waiting for the Brinks truck of God's blessings just to pull up to my house and open up and have them all fall out on me. And he said, while I was waiting for that, I really wasn't a lot of fun to be around. And I didn't have a great attitude, and I wasn't very gracious. He said, then one day, something hit me. I realized while I was waiting for the truck of God's blessing to pull up to my house, to open up and have it all fall out, that when I looked at my life, what I found out was really this. All along... 
my life. God's truck had been going ahead of me and things had been falling out bit by bit, piece by piece, all along. And I had been picking them up. He said, you know, I thought I'm God's boy. I'm serving God. God will really take care of me. And then he said, I realized that even before I became God's boy, God was taking care of me. When we realize what God has done, not just today, but all along, we realize we don't need what someone else has. We have more than enough.